2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you very much, uh, Rachel, and uh, all who've taken part and led us thus uh, far. Now, um, as we begin a new series in this letter, there are some headings in the service sheet that will guide us. First, and by way of introduction, what is normal for Christians? Let me tell you about some of our uh, global partners. JNR, M and C, A and H in East Asia, S and D in the Middle East, and H as Morag prayed in a creative country. It would be so much easier, and there are times that you ask us if we could refer to them openly by their names, the countries they are serving in and what they are doing. But we can't, in a public context like a Sunday, because it would put them in danger. In the parts of the world where they are serving, Christians face persecution and affliction. To be a Christian is dangerous. That is normal Christian experience. That is the world and the realm of the New Testament. It is normal. Jesus said, the Son of Man will suffer many things. And he then said this plainly, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And in his final letter, the Apostle Paul said, 
all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Normal Christian experience is to face persecution and affliction because of faith in Jesus. Our context is therefore abnormal. Though it is getting harder to be a clear Christian, there is evidence, moreover, of a trend or trajectory. In other words, it is getting harder and harder. And it may well get a lot worse. It's interesting, our perspective is that there will be a turning. But if what the majority of Christians in the world are experiencing is normal, it may well be that there is some way to go. Now that is not being pessimistic, it is being honest to truth. It is not being a harbinger of doom. It is saying experiencing persecution and affliction because you are a Christian is normal. So let's pray that God would speak powerfully through this letter as we consider it together over the coming weeks. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this particular letter and everything it has to teach us. We trust in your word. As the psalmist writes, I will run in the way of your word when you enlarge my heart. Speak to our hearts, our whole selves, minds, emotions, affections, and will as we humbly sit under your word at the feet of our teacher, the Lord Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Suffering for one's faith is normal. What is authentic? What is authentic church? That's the second heading on the sheet. The local church in Thessalonica is authentic. It is genuine. Genuineness is tested and proved in that church. A bit of biography. The church was started by the Apostle Paul. You can read of that in Acts 17. From the start, that church did something very important. They received, this is from 1 Thessalonians, they received the word of God. That word received means they listened, accepted, and were obedient to it. Here's a quote from the first letter, written not long before the second, the one that we are studying. Paul writes, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. There is a massive difference between listening to uh, the word of God preached or studied or in our uh, devotions and receiving it. Receiving means listening, obeying, living, loving. From the start, this local church in Thessalonica had faced significant opposition and persecution. Indeed, such was the intensity of it that the Apostle Paul was forced to leave Thessalonica after uh, just a few weeks Paul described that experience 
as being torn away from them. He loved them. For more than a year, Paul had no word from them. Paul feared the worst that they had succumbed to the pressure, which, humanly speaking, would have been the expectation, or that there was no church left at all, and prevented from returning himself, though he was desperate to do so, he sent Timothy to see how they were faring. Timothy returned with the joyful news that they were standing fast in the Lord. And uh, there's that wonderful phrase in the first letter when Paul hears that they are standing fast in the Lord. Um, and, and I hope that I would feel the same uh, as your pastor if I was torn away from you for a year and I heard that you are thriving, Paul writes in the first letter, for now we live. And uh, that's one of these phrases in the Bible that that reflects the engagement, not simply of our minds, but of our, of our hearts. It's just worth saying that whenever you read the word heart in the Bible, heart does not mean what we think it means in our Western culture. Heart in the Bible is every part of us. The heart is yourself. And when the word heart is used in the Bible, the application is to the mind, to the emotions, to the will, and a good word to describe that is our affections in Christ are stirred. And when Paul says, for now we live because you are standing fast in the Lord, that is a truth that grips his whole uh, person. And Paul's joy at hearing that this little church is thriving is uh, what led him to write the first letter, 1 Thessalonians. And in the first letter, Paul expresses his thanks to the Lord for what has happened in their life. Let me summarize the marks of authenticity from that first letter. And I'm doing that because the second letter has the first as its context. Now, if you went to read the first letter this afternoon, you would read of this. The faith of this church in the Lord Jesus. Faith is not an abstract concept. I wish I had your faith, or what is faith? Faith in the Bible is, is devotion with an object in view, and that object is a person. Faith in him. Love for one another, another mark. Steadfastness of hope. We've learned what steadfastness of hope means uh, from Hebrews. Moreover, they were loved by God. Loved means called and saved. God had been at work in them to change them. God had enabled them to remain steadfast in the face of persecution. They are God's, God's people in whose lives the sovereign grace of God was at work. Moreover, a mark of this authentic church, as we read, they had received the word of God in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That is supernatural evidence. When you have Bible categories that describe the Christian life that don't make sense in the world, they are there to reassure us. There is no other, there is no other realm on this earth where 
the experience of affliction and the joy of the Holy Spirit can be in a soul at the same time. It does not mean that we rejoice in afflictions. That's, that's daft. But they exist side by side. Another mark, they set an example to others. And the final mark is conversion. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. And for all of us, before we are converted, there are idols. We battle with them when we are converted, but before we are converted, they dominate us. Idols can be metal or mental, or they can be uh, things that we worship, anything but they had swapped that to worship the living and the true God. Now, these are the marks of an authentic church. And I'm going to run through them again in summary. And I want you to ask the question, are these marks describing this church here, Chalmers, or the church that you are part of? Faith in Jesus Christ. What would that look like? It would mean that there is a, the heartbeat of the church is devotion to him, to him, to him, an adoration of, of Jesus Christ, love for one another, steadfastness of hope. Steadfastness of hope is not stoicism. Scots are good at that. Steadfastness of hope is steadfastness of hope. It is it is a steady demeanor to press on, to be enabled, to be helped, to encourage, to keep loyalty to Jesus through thick and thin, through life, its trials, its providences. Loved by God. Are we loved by God? Perhaps we struggle to allow ourselves to ask that question. Do you feel loved by God? Well, an evidence of being loved by God is that we are here in this room, gathered in His extraordinary arrangement of providences to sit at the feet of Jesus listening to his word and just think our lives may have taken an altogether different course and we could be a thousand miles from Jesus loved receiving and being changed by the word of God experiencing persecution and affliction Joy, setting an example to others unconverted. Now, how do we hear these marks as a church? What is it saying to us? How is it speaking to our hearts? 
whenever I go away for three or four weeks, and I've been away for three or four weeks, just to let you know, not on holiday, holiday for one week, working for the others, I've, I've got to preach in Cambridge, in Charleston, in Redeemer, and now back in Chalmers. One of the remarkable things about preaching in Cambridge and St. Andrews the Great and Charleston and Dundee, there was absolutely no difference. Isn't that extraordinary? The only thing that kind of impacted me with regret is that these two congregations will never be fused on earth. That's a product of our culture. But there was no difference. It was wonderful to see. It's a kind of sight when you fuse these of the new creation. But when I'm on my travels, I get to think about you and I begin to feel kind of what Paul means when you're torn away. I begin to realize again that I get to be the minister of the best church in the world. Because that's a connection. It's right that it's there. And these marks are there. And it's not for us to boast in them. It is for us to shine the light in and ask, are they there? Faith in Jesus, love for one another, steadfastness of hope, loved by God, receiving and being changed by the word of God. Experience in our life as a church and in our individual lives, difficulties, affliction, joy in the spirit. <laughs> I didn't say that right. Joy in the spirit. Not joy in the spirit. But sometimes it is expressed like that, isn't it? Joy in the spirit. Faith intact in a storm. Setting an example to others and converted, these marks are true. Now, what matters to Paul in the first letter is two things. One, the evidence of these marks, and two, the increase of them over time. And that's true of the Christian life. And it doesn't mean to say that the progression or the increase or the growth is day to day to day to day to day. Um, sometimes we take three steps backwards and four steps forward, sometimes three steps backward and two steps forward over a period of time in the Christian life. But the overall trajectory, and it has to be thus, if the spirit of the living Jesus is inside of you, you cannot but change, painfully slowly. As the Holy Spirit in our lives, in my life, in your life, just takes possession of one more little bit, one uh, little bit of your body, of your mind, of your soul, more this year. And in our church life, the Holy Spirit just takes possession of another bit of our church life and we progress. Paul wants to see these marks and he wants to see their increase. Now, thirdly, let's turn now to our letter growing in these marks of authenticity. This is verses 3 to 5 of 2 Thessalonians 1. Just follow with me as I read them again. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. 
Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence. All of the above. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. The word judgment then means a choice or decision or calling or his love upon you. This is evidence that God has called you that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Now the church in Thessalonica is growing in these marks of authenticity. Their faith is growing abundantly. Their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Commitment to him. Loyalty to Jesus and his gospel. Obedience to his word. Sometimes I think we are, we are too frightened to, to sort of summarize the Christian faith. Not how you become a Christian. That is through repentance for the forgiveness of sins and the indwelling spirit. But I wonder if sometimes we are too weary of saying the Christian life is at its heart loving Jesus, devotion to him. Is that growing? Well, I wonder if our year in Hebrews as a church family over the past year, when the, the strap line of Hebrews was consider him. For me, my devotion to Jesus has grown. I love him more. Our souls, our minds, our hearts, our affections beat to Christ, to Jesus. In the end of the day, our quest is not to learn things but is to love him more. Moreover, the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. That's a strong commendation. Is Chalmers a loving church? Now, we often think about that question in this way. Am I loved? Do I feel loved? But Paul puts the emphasis on all of us loving. So rather than asking, am I loved? We should be asking also the question, am I loving? Am I selflessly loving others in the church family, serving them, caring for them, praying for them, speaking the truth in love to them, encouraging them and rebuking them if necessary? It's fitting this morning that we welcome new members. Two Thessalonians is the realm of the promises that we make to one another in the context of the partnership that is church membership. Faith, love are growing and steadfastness in all your persecutions and in the afflictions you are enduring, Paul writes. Steadfastness, endurance has been one of the watch words of Hebrews and not hanging on. Sometimes in the Christian life, we barely hang on. And that's why we need a church family 
when we were in London on holiday, we, we went out for, for lunch one day and the, 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 the lady who was serving us kind of almost broke down with us and, and said, please, can you write something on the, the card to say you valued the experience because I'll get a bonus and I need it to look after my child as a single mum. Of course, we did write that, but oh, if that person had had a church, a living church around them. Sometimes we need each other to hang on, but the, the realm of Hebrews, the, the realm of two Thessalonians and steadfastness and faith is a, is a steadiness. Sometimes as we look back on a year, maybe in your lives, how did we get here? How did God's grace enable us to be steadfast? Steadfastness and faith is God-given. It is within us supernaturally through the indwelling. It all is faith in Jesus, love for one another. Steadfastness is all within us through the indwelling spirit and brought to bear, worked out, comes to the surface as the Holy Spirit within us works with the Word of God such that we receive it and are changed by it like right now. It's when we immerse ourselves in the living Word that our faith grows abundantly, our love increases, and steadfastness and faith are our possession. Steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions you are enduring, this does not mean, as we said, that we relish or enjoy persecutions and afflictions because we are Christians. Nor does it mean that God will shield us from them in this life. He won't. He won't. Because in this life they are normal. Now we'll come back to why. But it does mean we will know in them the supernatural strength, steadfastness and faith to endure in them. Christians in this world are not delivered habitually from suffering. They are delivered uh, in it. Just think of your life. And I think we do best to think of this in retrospect. How God keeps our faith through a difficult time how we find hope in circumstances that are so alien to the possibility of it. Some of you have suffered persecution and affliction in the past year. Now, persecution and affliction can be uh, directed against us by um, flesh and blood. But remember all of us, and that includes those of us in the West as well as the eastern part of the globe, 
our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The day-to-day battle as Christians with spiritual opposition, especially if a church or a Christian believer is, is committed to the word of God, to the gospel, to the Lord Jesus. Some of you have suffered, are suffering affliction. Maybe through spiritual warfare, through focused opposition in your work, or people that are close to you that you live with perhaps. It has been the experience of some of our gospel partners. Some of those sent out to serve in the wider church. It has not been alien to us as a church over these past 10 years. One of the things that came into my mind when we were away is that next year is 10 years since Chalmers began. And as we said, it is our experience every day in the realm of spiritual warfare. Adversary is the devil. The Christian life is a battle, a battle on the winning side, but a battle nonetheless. And we trust it will remain so in the times ahead. Hard times are inevitable, possibly, probably. Well, I think we need to underscore probably because we need to underscore what's normal and a trajectory toward normality. Harder and harder times. Now, it's incumbent to be honest in application. I think that as a church, we are growing in these things. And if not, may God expose and correct. But if it is true that there is growth in these marks, it is not an ever the product of our efforts. It is fundamentally the work of a gracious and a powerful God. As a church, if there is one thing that we must do actively rather than be and just allow God to be at work in us, it is to put prayer and the ministry of the word at the heart of everything. Because to do so expresses, one, our fundamental trust in the Lord, and two, to allow God's voice to be heard week in, week out, speaking to us as our light and our life, prayer and the ministry of the word. Now Paul makes it absolutely clear in verse 5 that this is the authenticity that is worked out by God's grace. So verse 5, this is evidence. What is this? Faith, love, steadfastness, persecutions, evidence of what? Of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. In other words, all of this is evidence. All of this is evidence, and let that encourage you. All of this is evidence that God has set his hand upon you. God has chosen you. God has loved you. God has called you. God has woven Extraordinary providence is beat and bitter and sweet in your life to save you, to bring you here. 
Let me paraphrase even more. All of this is evidence that we are authentic. And if we are not, may God show us where we're not. Now, four. In both letters, Paul has a lot to say about suffering persecution. It's been the experience of the church in Thessalonica from the start. And if anything, it is intensified. Verses 6 to 10, important verses, Paul teaches us about the truth when it comes to suffering. Let me read these verses again and we'll quickly rattle through this. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because of our testimony to you was believed. Extraordinary words. Now for Christians, this teaching about Suffering persecution is sobering and reassuring. Sobering because suffering persecution is to be expected as we live as Christians in this world. But reassuring in a number of respects. One, God will grant relief to Christians. Sobering again when the Lord Jesus returns. Not before. On that day, Jesus will be glorified in his people and all who believe in him will marvel in his presence. Reassuring also in that God is just and those who persecute his people will be judged. Now, if we take reassurance from that, we do so not in any vindictive way, but so that we do not take God's justice into our own hands. For those who do not know God in the gospel, though the teaching here is a frightening warning. In verse 6, the spotlight is on those who afflict or persecute God's people. But in verse 8, the spotlight shifts to, quote, those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is everyone who is not a Christian. When Jesus comes again in flaming fire, vengeance from God will be inflicted on them. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the presence of his might. That is what everyone who does not know God and who does not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus will face. For all who die before the Lord Jesus returns, it will make no difference. Their eternal destiny is the same. It is a terrible prospect. It is a terrible reality. It is the truth. What will you do if you are not a Christian? Obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
which is repent and believe for the forgiveness of your sins and thereby come to know God as Father. And what is described here is a complete reversal. In this world, Christians face persecution. In the world to come, unbelievers will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Why is it the way it is in this world? Why is it going to flip in the world to come? Well, eternity, because God is just, he provides the answer to the plight of humanity in their sin now, but all who refuse his offer will be answerable. Why let his people suffer in this world? The answer is because steadfastness and faith in suffering points people to Jesus. At a personal level, and on a divine scale, it must cross the mind of some of the great leaders of these superpowers that oppose the gospel. Why will they never lie down? Why will the church keep growing? Why are they steadfast? It is the testimony of the cross and thereby of Christ. God is gracious in giving unbelievers the chance to respond, but that time will run out. It runs out when we die or when Jesus Christ returns. Now, finally... Prayer for an authentic church. We could well do with making this our prayer for the year that lies ahead. And our uh, gospel partners. Now, I think if two of them are here, I think you are here. Are you here at the back? Come out to the front, yeah? Can you do that? Just come and stand up here. Some of the daft things we do in, in our culture, I think if we were, it, it, well, when I go away for like three or four weeks, I usually come back with 137 ideas. This year it was 139. One of the, the features of St. Andrew's, the great church in Cambridge, this was the ministry of Mark Ashton. Everybody faces each other. I don't know where we got this, sit like a cinema. All facing the front. 
Whenever we have new members, I got them to stand there. And when we greeted them, I said, just look at people's faces. What do you see? And you see joy and heartache. And you catch somebody in a row whose head is down and they can't even sing. Oh, how much better it would be if we could look and see that in each other's faces. So if I mention two of our gospel partners, we can't say who they are and all that, but is it not better that they're standing in front of us than sitting at the back? And when I finish with these words and pray them for you and pray them for all of us, would it not be better if we can look each other in the eye and say, this is what we're praying for this coming year? So we've loved having you with us two short weeks. You're about to be torn away from us. Your mum is here. It's not easy, is it? But you're in the right place. Here are Paul's words for you. This is our prayer for you. Make this your prayer for us and for one another in the year ahead. To this end, we pray that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that this morning we might have caught just a glimpse of your extraordinary word, full of power and truth. And if it is affirmed what is authentic, we pray that we would take that to heart. But we're a mixed bag, individually and corporately. And so we need to pray and depend on you. And these marks of authenticity will grow and abound. And for this couple here and their family, we pray that they would return to their home and to their place of service with our partnership, with our love, and with your grace in its varied forms. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.